A year on from the devastating February earthquake, the $1.4 billion health system in Canterbury is under pressure and remains fragile. There's obvious disruption, but keeping services going is the overriding goal of the District Health Board. This Radio New Zealand Insight asks how hard it is to make that happen. The task facing the health sector in Canterbury is enormous, with 9,000 damaged rooms and health board facilities at the last count. Christchurch is home to the country's second largest tertiary hospital, measured by both funding and services provided. Incredibly to many, it's still delivering at or above pre-quake levels, but building damage is constantly being discovered and services moved around. That's testing staff who are already tired. How's it all being done and can it continue? I'm Karen Brown and in this insight I've returned to Christchurch a year after the major quake last February to see again what they're up against and how they're going. Christchurch Hospital is a building site these days as the Canterbury District Health Board goes about inspecting, repairing or simply demolishing structures within the more than 200 buildings it owns. Amongst all the drilling, dust and din, there's nothing more sobering than the site of the former hospital dental services facility where some of the worst damage occurred on February the 22nd last year. It's a day the practice coordinator for oral health, Jackie Power, won't forget. I was sitting at my desk and uh, suddenly things just went crazy. Uh, lights went out, I dived under my desk, I was on the phone, dived under the desk with my phone in my hand still and just tried to stay as low as possible. I kept getting chucked out from under my desk and so I kept climbing back under and getting lower. I can remember the air, things just smashing beside me, the air conditioning unit came through the, just missed my chair and uh, yeah, smack on the ground and almost kissing the carpet and then the minute it stopped it was just up and go. An engineer and the health board's construction and property manager, Wayne Lawson, shows me the result. We're in the uh, hospital dental services building. It's physically underneath the public car park. As a result of the earthquakes, this facility is completely wrecked. Um, we've had lateral spreading of the floor, so there are splits opened up in the floor. And if you look here, we've got um, petitions which have been physically crushed as a result of the vertical acceleration. This is a public waiting area. The facility is completely written off. The Corporate Services General Manager, Murray Dixon, believes that being in that section during the quake would have been horrendous. Without uh, saying it was nice anywhere, I would imagine that being in this hospital dental facility on 22nd of February would have been by far and away a very scary and frightening experience. It would have been noisy and terrifying. No one was injured, largely because it was lunchtime. Staff grabbed the one patient they had in recovery and, in Jackie Power's words, bolted for the door. She's back now with a colleague on day three of a mission to collect 70,000 patient records that need to be retrieved and stored. Coming in here for the first few times after the earthquake, we were very nervous, uh, but certainly now we're not too worried about it um, as long as we've got our hard hats on and we've got the front door wide open for us that we can exit if we have to and the back door's open as well. Um, but I tell you what, any shakes and we'll be gone. <laughs> no, we won't be coming back in a hurry. It's widely acknowledged among health chiefs in Canterbury that damage to facilities, the buildings and staff are the two areas that pose the critical challenges facing the system as it moves wearily into its second year of quake response with no end in sight. The price tag on damage so far is more than $100 million. The board's chief executive, David Mates, says all facilities and vital equipment are checked after every significant aftershock. 
We have to crash operating theatres and stand them down for um, up to two hours. In terms of equipment for radiation oncology, the LINAC machines, they need to be recalibrated. That's required teams to be working late into the evening and in many instances additional shifts over the weekend just to make sure that the community has continued to access its services. You're currently in the uh, service yard for the boiler house. There's a lot going on in a side of health that's generally invisible. Surgeons tip their hats now to the maintenance and engineering crews whose efforts meant operating theatres could function, sometimes in darkness and with intermittent water, on the night of February the 22nd. At the heart of that effort was a hospital's boiler system, situated near the ill-fated dental services and across the road from the hospital, where the heat, hot water, humidification and steam that runs everything in the hospital is generated. For the Health Board's facilities and engineering manager, Alan Bavis, the upgrades there just can't wait. Yeah, what we're actually in the process of doing at the moment is ripping the old uh, 1960s boilers out. We're installing two new coal-fired boilers and a, uh, a single diesel boiler. And as you can see, there's lots of preparation at the moment for the seismic upgrade in this area. Uh, we've already got two boilers installed and uh, we, we're on a tight timeline now to get the other one installed before the end of uh, June. The old existing boilers were very old. Um, they are at the stage that we need to replace them. They wouldn't have met our resource consent for this year, so uh, it was always the plan to replace the boilers with new technology. These boilers are a lot more efficient and uh, high pressure so that we can at some stage in the future generate electricity as well if the electricity price uh, goes higher. But the more the engineers and others look, the more damage they find, and it's a worry for the District Health Board. Recently it had to close operating theatres at Ashburton Hospital because of the risk posed by the 1920s unreinforced masonry. The facilities have been a workhorse for Christchurch, putting through 1,500 operations a year, mostly from outside Ashburton itself. All right, well, I think um, we will get started, and welcome to the first full board meeting for 2012. Decisions have yet to be made about their future, but the DHB knows it's facing difficult choices with damaged buildings. I think we've got a lot of work to do. Board members meeting just over a week ago approved a process for making decisions about what the board calls its built infrastructure. The chairman, Bruce Matheson, says 700 staff have already been moved out of damaged buildings to other premises. We will not take risks with patient safety or staff safety. So if it's identified that uh, buildings are earthquake prone, we will either have to move immediately to uh, make them to a standard that's acceptable and safe, or we will have to move people out of there. As, as we did in Ashburton, as soon as we became aware that the operating theatres were earthquake prone, uh, the first thing is to move, re, uh, move people and the second thing is to find a solution for the patients. To help deal with the tough decisions, new procedures are being embraced. We've got a decision-making process which uh, we endorsed at the board today which helps us work through exactly those questions. How much would we spend on a building? How critical is it to our service delivery? How long do we need to keep it? And so do we do just enough to make it able to be used, or do we go beyond? The District Health Board is hanging out for the new hospital it was in line for before the quakes, and has government approval in principle to go ahead with the planning before final decisions are made. Amid this uncertainty, coupled with the ongoing aftershocks, the board has to find safe buildings in which to relocate staff and services.
None of this is lost on the Chief of Surgery at Christchurch Hospital, Greg Robertson, who says they're on a knife edge. You know, we talk about an individual earthquake, but we've had a series of them, and each time that something happens, something more is damaged. I mean, we've had facilities closed as recently as last week, in Ash or two weeks ago in Ashburton, and that has a substantial effect on our abilities to provide services. So I think the challenge has been that around the country, people perceive that we're doing all right, because if you look at our our compliance with various outcomes the Ministry of Health is after, our uh, operative workload, that type of thing, we are achieving what we're supposed to be doing, but it's come at a cost you know, from the people that are providing that service in Christchurch. Mr Robertson describes the health system as still fragile, and that includes its hard-working and deeply committed staff. There are people now that have had enough. There are people that are saying, you know, my family in particular is saying it's time to leave because I can't put up with this anymore. And although they're happy to come and work here, the families are saying it's no good. So we've lost good people in radiology, you know, various surgical specialties who've often, because of familial pressures, are, are making a call to leave town. That's entirely appropriate. But it does mean it's hard to attract, well, it's hard to provide a continuing service here and it's probably that side of things that's more challenging. We're not the city that we used to be to attract people to it. However, in saying that, we've had some very, very capable people apply for the positions that we have advertised, perhaps, you know, people that I wouldn't have thought would have applied in the circumstances. Greg Robertson says his area, surgical services, has lost a vascular surgeon and two interventional radiologists. The Health Board is now using not only public but private facilities in Christchurch in order to get the work done. Mr Robertson says that may pose problems as well. There are people who came to Christchurch Hospital to work in the public sector. Um, they are needing to work in an environment that um, doesn't have all the supports that the public sector has. Now we're trying to ensure that the work that they do in that environment is the stuff that's going to mean that they're not going to have to do anything much more than their day of the procedure type sort of surgery but or day case surgery rather than things that are significantly overnight or have a prolonged period of time in, in care which in this facility we would have a house surgeon who would be around to look after the patients we would have all the support services which we don't easily have in that environment. The board put staff turnover at 1.5% higher than normal overall while the district itself has lost a net 9 to 10,000 people. A Christchurch psychiatrist, Brian Craig, is living in a motorhome on the other side of town to Littleton, where his home was destroyed. Life for him is understandably full of frustrations, but amid all of that, and speaking in his capacity as a national officer of the Senior Doctors' Union, he worries about the board's capacity to recruit and retain staff. We used to have no trouble recruiting. Canterbury is a place everybody wanted to come to. We get locums quite easily. Recently, we've been trying to get locums for our own area here that I work in, and we've had some applications. When we speak to these people, they say, oh, well, look, I just put you down because I've applied for several places in New Zealand, and you're last on the list. I mean, really, who does want to come to a place that's, you know, an earthquake zone? Quake damage at Christchurch Hospital last February stripped it of 106 beds, all but 25 of which it's regained by transferring three general medical wards to the Princess Margaret Hospital across town in Kashmir. At Princess Margaret Hospital, the Chief Medical Officer, Nigel Miller, says it's gone well but isn't ideal. General medicine is, uh, is to some extent, the powerhouse of the hospital. It's the biggest department, has the biggest number of admissions, unselected acute admissions, people with, with strokes, pneumonia, those sorts of things. 
and we're having to admit half of them, well, just under half of them, to Princess Margaret Hospital, where we don't have the full facilities of everything you would have in an acute hospital. That's clinically challenging, so it takes a bit of time to organise. Having said that, the the service at Princess Margaret has set up a team that's committed and working together well. So, you know, it has the capacity to keep us going until the end of the year. But by that time, I think we'll probably be looking forward to getting most of the services back into the acute hospital. Dr Miller says they've got years of work ahead, but there are positive things happening, including a new project he's involved in to give hospital clinicians, family doctors, community nurses and pharmacists an electronic shared view of people's own individual health records. It's basically just a simple summary of the information from a variety of sources. Talking to the people, to consumers and the public about it was very interesting. Many people thought we'd done that already and thought it was all joined up. So it's kind of quite exciting to be able to say, well, it wasn't, but now we can do this. And we're just getting to the point of make, of, of this becoming ready to use, and it will be over the next few months, become part of our health system. And I think it's, it's quite exciting because it will give patients a bit more opportunity to have control over their, over their health care. Dr Miller says the new system, known as ESCRV, will be rolled out over the next few months, and the February quake was the impetus. So a number of things happened in the quake. The first thing is our electronic health system, record systems actually survived, and they worked almost completely through the quake, which is not what we expected. We thought that elect, you know, computer records would be a bad thing in the earthquake. It turned out to be a good thing, because other organisations, some health organisations may have had paper records, and if their building got a red sticker, they've never been seen again because you couldn't go in and get them and they've had to be, you know, they've been demolished with the building in some circumstances. Another positive spin-off of the quakes has been the fact that orthopaedic patients are now getting their surgery more quickly than they did in the past, which is limiting their time in hospital and speeding their recovery afterwards. The clinical head of the orthopaedic service, John McKee, explains how that's happened. We've been able to get access to more acute surgical operating time. So we're now able to deal with our patients who require surgical procedures much more expeditiously than before, uh, which is very good. The main driver for that is the hospital has been fairly severely constrained in terms of the number of beds. As you're probably aware, Christchurch Hospital now has more than 100 fewer beds than it did a year ago. So one of the ways of trying to at least cater or work within that situation is to use the beds we have more efficiently. And so to do that, it's been identified if we can get our acute patients to theatre sooner, we can get them rehabilitating and out of hospital sooner. Well, why wasn't that being done before? Well, it does seem logical, and that's what uh, a number of my colleagues have been saying for some time, and uh, why does it take an earthquake to do what, which is uh, appropriate? The answer to that is that resources <clears throat> in terms of operating theatre time in Christchurch Hospital are severely constrained. There are no uncommitted operating sessions through the week. In order for us to have more more acute operating time, that's meant some of our colleagues in other areas of uh, surgery in general have had to forego elective operating sessions. What that's meant is we now have uh, DHB-funded work being done in other venues around the city. All the slack uh, in the private hospitals generally has been taken up uh, with the DHB work uh, being relocated to a different facility. So in an ideal world, we would have had this additional operating time for a long time. Mr McKee says colleagues in geriatric medicine have noticed that patients returning from orthopaedic surgery are now in better condition than they used to be. 
Colleen Briggs has had a couple of strokes but is managing at home under a new program that aims to support and rehabilitate patients at home rather than in scarce hospital beds to help take pressure off the hospital system. It's a key part of the board's strategy since the quakes and for the future generally and was launched rapidly after February the 22nd. 20,000 people are now being managed under the new program, including 75-year-old Colleen, who told me she couldn't be happier than to be at home with her husband Brian, and she appreciates the support she received. Oh, goodness gracious, what didn't they do? They um, did everything they wanted to do. They got a band to put down the stairs for me because I didn't have one. As you can see, it's a hard house when you've had strokes. And they gave you lots of exercises today. Yes, and... Um, well, they monitored everything. They were monitoring your blood pressure and your sugar levels and yes. everything. Colleen was referred directly into the program by her family doctor. GPs in Canterbury also now have the ability to refer directly into hospital rather than going through a specialist. As well, the board now sends text messages to doctors to alert them if the hospital is getting tight. It's all being done under the drive towards a truly integrated health system involving heightened cooperation between clinicians, family doctors, community nurses, pharmacists and others. Canterbury's well advanced on this path and the board's chief executive, David Mates, says it had to happen. Before the earthquake, the Canterbury Health System was working as a single health system and the connections and linkages between um, general practice, community pharmacies, district nursing, um, the aged care sector and the hospitals was working very much along a common pathway. And that's part of the reason why the health system responded the way that it did to the way that it did after the earthquakes. If we hadn't been working that way before the earthquake, we would have imploded. But even with new ways of working, which actually began before the quakes, life's not easy in the health system in Canterbury. The dilemma that we've got is uh, we're under a lot of time pressure, and just you know, kind of just to continue to provide services this winter is going to require the whole Canterbury health system to be absolutely finely tunely balanced and we can't get any single part of it out of kilter otherwise we run the danger of stopping a whole range of services. Before the earthquake we were running at the outer edges of capacity with the further damage that's occurred as a result of the earthquake we've had to continue to innovate and change the way we're delivering services just to stand still and every day we're operating right at the outer edges of uh, what we're capable of doing. The Executive Director of Nursing, Mary Gordon, says the way people work has changed. Many staff across the health system are working quite differently than they were on the 21st of February. Um, and there's been no hue and cry about it. You know, there's no, um, been no debacle, well, that's not what our job was about. This just got on and actually made things work for people. Across town at Pegasus Health, Phil Schroeder continues to oversee family doctors' role in community health care in the aftermath of the quakes. He says some GPs have lost patients, and in other areas like his in Rolleston, practices are bursting at the seams. But he says by and large most practices are open, although they too face building and other challenges. Some of those practices are surrounded by red zoned areas, so they're going to be depopulated and, and lose patients as time goes. We thought that probably by now that would have happened to a large degree, but it's actually still manifesting itself, I suppose. And so those practices still don't quite know whether they're going to be in good order in, in the future or not. It's still arguable as to whether some will be able to continue on. We expect that most are actually making contingency plans to be able to remain in business and be 
there for their patients. But as for others, it's involved going the extra mile and there's no let up in sight. We have had a superhuman effort to be able to maintain our health services over the last year and that has come at a price, I think. Um, I think that we are less buoyant right now and less able to probably meet the next challenge than what we might have been, or certainly than what we would have been um, 12 months ago. Now some folk are faring really well, but others, um, just as our community is suffering right now, some of our health workers are, are probably suffering as well and they're just wondering when it will all end. Dr Vicky Martin is a GP at Selwyn Street Medical Centre in Spraydon, south of the city. It was a bustling community but now seems abnormally quiet. There's been a huge movement across the city and also out, out of the city, I think, with patients into perhaps surrounding areas like Rolleston, but also out of town. And I think we've all lost patients, particularly in those first three months after the quake, but also now that people are getting paid out of their red, red zone homes. So you can see um, this is from snow damage. So we had earthquake damage and we had snow damage in June and the back roof collapsed and water shot into the pharmacy all over the switchboard. So Next door to Vicky Martin, the Solwyn village pharmacist, Des Bailey, is carrying on. He had the pharmacy open half a day after the quake, but says he lost $26,000 in turnover in the first six weeks post-quake. He says pharmacists will go the extra mile for their patients, but they're maxed out. We're obviously worried with winter approaching, lack of hospital beds with significant damage to the, the main hospitals. And, uh, you know, the GPs and pharmacists really, there's no slack in the system. And if we have a, the added challenge of an influenza outbreak, I think uh, we'll be under a lot of strain. And then the DHB will really have to look at transferring patients to outlying areas or bringing in um, new staff into Canterbury. Local pharmacists say a fifth of urban pharmacies have had their buildings relocated or closed in the past year. Karen Crisp is both a Christchurch pharmacist and president of the Pharmacy Guild, representing pharmacy owners. Just yesterday, one of our colleagues' pharmacy was closed down quite suddenly because there was damage discovered in the mall that his pharmacy is in. So he faces the uncertainty of, yet again, patients having difficulty accessing his pharmacy. Just recently, we've also been told that all the pharmacies and medical centres need to have a building inspection, an engineer's report done. That is just another thing that places a financial burden, particularly on a number of pharmacies who, through depopulation, of course, their business has changed considerably. Stuart Barrington, I'll come to recess, please, Stuart. One year on, the emergency department at Christchurch Hospital, where the scene was described as organised chaos on February the 22nd last year, staff report things are back to normal. It's the only place in the hospital which does, in fact, feel normal. The department's getting about 25 fewer people turning up each day, although the overall hospital admission rate has remained the same as it was. Staff say the fewer presentations may be because patients can see a GP more easily than a year ago. A consultant emergency physician, Scott Pearson, says for the first several months after the quake, patients wanted to talk, but that need seems to have dropped away. It's sort of settled down a bit now, but you don't have to go much below the surface to find you know, quite significant stress there. That would be you know, one comment that I would make and something that I'm extremely aware of is, is that there is... Um, significant chronic stress out there now in the community and that will obviously affect health. The nurse manager in the emergency department, Anne Essen, says there is something different about the patients now. 
The patients seem more complex. It does take a long time to actually sort out patients in the department and refer them on. Um, and uh, But I don't know what the length of stay is in, in the hospital, but we certainly are finding that the patients are quite complex. Hospital and other health workers all talk about resilience and how surprised they are at how resilient they've been. These graduate nurses would have learned more during this period than any nurses in their lifetime would have learned. A health board nurse and training coordinator, Becky Hickmott, told board members about the situation that new nurses faced last February. Many were immediately redeployed to work across the health sector, including in the emergency department. This is what one had to say about it later. I've seen things no one should see. I saw people my age die that day, and nothing in my training prepared me for that. We didn't know what to do with all the bodies, as initially there was no power, so there were no lifts. Mrs Hickmott says the quake has made nursing authorities reflect again on what should be covered in training, and changes have been made. They do a course called Rapid Assessment of the Deteriorating Adult, and we have decided to continue with that because what we heard from the graduates that had already done the course, that that was essential on the day because they had to make a rapid assessment of the patients, and because we don't know what the ongoing climate will bring us, the need for them to be aware and to make those decisions on um, triaging patients and making quick clinical decisions, they said stood them in good stead. So we will continue with those courses. So we're not actually taking any of the other courses at the present time because of that. Psychiatrist and a doctor's union representative Brian Craig says the health board is doing the best it can in a difficult situation. I talked to uh, one of my colleagues today and I said, look, you're, you're a coper, what's this like for you? And she said, look, I go on coping. She said, I used to work to the max before and I still work to the max. She said, the difference is now one little extra stressor can kind of push you over the edge. Surgeon John McKee is another who believes the situation is finely balanced. Many people around the country think it's back to business as usual in Christchurch. The phrase which is used commonly is the new normal. Everyone's kind of used to driving around on roads that are munted, living in houses that are damaged, and uh, so the hospital is just you know, part of that. The whole community remains fragile and will do so for some time. The Christchurch Hospital Director of Nursing, Heather Gray, says she won't forget the courage, grit and teamwork that got them through last February. I saw a team of doctors and technicians and nurses carrying a badly injured person up the stairs to x-ray before we had the lifts back. And just that strength and that commitment was extraordinary. The look on the face of a patient that was carried down on a, on a mattress from the upper storey down by the rescuers. The hands reaching out. Planning for the future amid such change and uncertainty could be a nightmare. But generally, that's not how it's being viewed. The board official responsible for planning, Carolyn Gullery, is one who's confident about the future and the ability of all those involved to continue providing services for the people of Canterbury. We can deliver health care. We can rapidly respond to circumstances that change. We can redesign services in weeks, not months. And we can keep the system working together and against all the stresses. It's been really exciting. Challenges will confront the entire Canterbury Health System for years to come. Indications are that if anyone can meet those challenges, they can. I'm Karen Brown and that's Insight for this week. If you would like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or tweet us at rnz underscore insight. The programme was written and presented by me, Karen Brown. It was produced by Philippa Tolley. Technical production was by Chris Adams.